This is a production of Cornell University. Hello and welcome to the Cornell Turfgrass Shortcut Podcast, your weekly connection to turfgrass information, brought to you by the Cornell University Turfgrass Program in partnership with the New York State Turfgrass Association. My name is Frank Rossi. I'm the Associate Professor of Turfgrass Science here in the Department of Horticulture at Cornell University, and the following are observations and recommendations for the week of April 19th, 2010. Well, we're ahead of normal, but the soils are still cool, so avoid aggressive fertilization. Growing conditions are ideal for rooting as soils are still cool. There's a temptation to think when much of the plants around are ahead of normal that turf should be growing more. Avoid the temptation to fertilize with nitrogen beyond normal levels, especially with additional slow-release nitrogen that might break release all at once when when the growth surge actually arrives this spring causing all kinds of issues with regard to extra mowing, maybe breaking through your growth regulator treatment, maybe uh, creating lush growth that might then become diseased. Lots of issues with that excessive fertilization. So hold on to it right now. um, And remember, we're still only at the end of April. Crabgrass emergence still likely several weeks away on most turf areas and consider using an IPM approach that assesses emergence and utilizes post-emergence strategies may be combined with light pre-applications. The weather last week from the Northeast Climate Center, another warm week with most areas 5 to 8 degrees above normal. The base 50 growing degree days, the season continues to progress about two to three weeks ahead of normal and ahead of last season. Right now, you accumulate about 100 growing degree days uh, per week in the area. So we're about two to 300 ahead, which makes us about two to three weeks ahead. Dandelion control strategies are favorable with the ester formulation into the Hudson Valley. Again, a mostly dry week with most of the region less than a half inch, a few areas to the south between three quarters and one inch. Evapotranspiration between a half and three quarters of an inch for the week for the region. Soils are still in the low 50s to the north and low 60s to the south. This week's forecast. The cold front moves through early in the week with temps about six degrees below normal, which leaves us in the upper 40s to the 60s. A good chance for frost midweek, but mostly dry region-wide. Long-term models showing widespread agreement that we are stuck in a cool and dry pattern for the foreseeable future. And check out all the weather information and predictive maps at our forecast website at www.nrcc.cornell.edu backslash grass. The Cornell Cooperative Extension update for this week starts with Walt Nelson in the Finger Lakes, who again found the yellow underwing cutworm in his region. Dandelion is flowering and regular mowing is underway. Sports fields are in full, sports field use is in full swing, and it's also under heavy traffic. The Capital District, Dave Chinnery, snow mold issues continue to persist, and some fine fescue areas appear slow to green up. A check on the GrubX formulation in the home and garden centers indicates it is not a celeprin. It has been the traditional formulation of that insecticide. The Westchester report, Jerry Giordano, Rick Harper, very dry conditions the last week. Dandelion and ground ivy is in the flowering stage. Concern about widespread sod failures might be related to sod coming in more thatchy due to prolonged growing in sod fields in a down economy. Of course, soil preparation for sod should be equal to that conducted for good seeding and often the layering issue is a bigger deal with sod and is worse when underlying soil is poor and not amended. 
the Long Island report from Tom Kowalsik. Following with the siding discussion, there is growing concern about site preparation and then sod installations in his area. Many inquiries about crabgrass control, control, especially along paved edges, especially when aggressively trimmed to produce a sharp edge that leaves soil exposed, these areas are ripe for invasion. Some calls about mold damage, clumps of annual type of annual bluegrass in flower on lawns. Also concerned about digger bees. The threat of being stung by digger bees is highly overrated. The bees are docile and not likely to sting unless handled or threatened. The USG update from Adam Miller, the agronomist for the Northeast region with the United States Golf Association. Adam reports that seed head production seems to be in full swing for golf courses on Long Island, the Met area, and New Jersey. Application timing was variable with most applying the first to the last week of March while others made applications the first week of April. Control differences between the two did not seem to be different. Issues about pest management. Cool season brown patch was observed in a few locations in New Jersey as well as, and this may flare up in cool, if cool conditions develop, and of course it looks like they are. Annual bluegrass weevils have been collected in pitfall traps and found in soap flush, flushes at many golf courses. Some have made applications this week, although it is not well known if the half green, half gold for city indicator is going to be less accurate compared to years past, especially with the growing conditions being different this year. The sports turf report from Joanne Grudadorio, sports turf specialist here at Cornell University. Soil testing for phosphorus and potassium. The need to supply additional P and K to our soils is best determined by a soil test. Recent research has shown that our soils may already have sufficient phosphorus and that high applications of potassium may not be warranted. In all cases, remember that turf will not benefit from additional fertilizer if adequate supplies exist in the soil. It's a good time to check soil pH. Do you know the soil pH of your field? Our cool season grasses perform best when the soil pH is in the 6 to 7 range. When the pH is in the proper range, the roots can access the nutrients more efficiently. Also, the pH influences the activity and population of soil microorganisms. And when the pH is too low, some nutrients, which are toxic to plant roots, can be found in the soil at undesirable levels. Our practices can raise or lower the soil pH. Animal compost, for example, have a very high pH, poultry and dairy around 8. Some fertilizers can increase the pH or lower the soil pH, urea or ammonium sulfate, ammonium nitrate, over time. If the soil test recommends raising the pH, select the liming material based on rate of reaction, cost, and ease of application. Calcium carbonate. Magnesium carbonate, dolomitic lime are examples of sources that have slow release rates, so don't expect a quick change. Keep in mind that lime does not move much in the soil, so try aerifying the field and then applying the lime to get into the soil. Check the soil pH on your fields. Learn how the amendments and the fertilizer you use influence pH. Make adjustments based on soil tests. After applying pH modifying materials, water them off the turf. Crabgrass update this week from our good friend Randy Prostak, who we are very pleased to have back, the Extension Weed Scientist, University of Massachusetts, is recovering nicely from a severe injury he, he incurred this spring. Randy's saying most landscape firms continue to make the half-rate split applications of pre-emergent products. Many have gone out very early this year, which means the follow-up may have to be early. Crabgrass pressure may also be extended this season as pre-barriers may break down more rapidly. With regard to crabgrass control along edges, an effective strategy along edges would be to supplement normal apps with follow-up liquid apps along edges where turf is thin or a sharp edge is desired. Most products will work well. However, dimension 
allows for some observation of pressure before making an application and then getting the post and then the follow-up pre-control. Gazing in the grass this week, I'm talking about spring putting green conditions. Again, conditions condi continue to improve on golf courses throughout the region with favorable temps and moderate rainfall. It's easy to forget conditions are likely two to three weeks ahead of normal, even though temps are more seasonable now. Keep in mind that as soils are still cool and it is in it is temp and, and and it is temperature that that not fertilizer that will determine growth. Avoid aggressive applications of nitrogen that would have slow release in it, as it will likely all release when soils warm and then allow for unbridled growth and likely push through your primo program. So don't fall prey to the idea that temperatures need to be uh, that temperatures are hot, warmer than they are. Uh, keep in mind that soils are still cool and we're not getting the growth that you might think we're supposed to be getting. We're still a few weeks away from the spring surge of growth. Some questions came up recently with regard to the cost of organic turf management. A report has been circulated recently espousing the idea that over a five-year period, organic sports turf management costs less than traditional sports turf. This report entitled, a cost comparison of conventional chemical turf management and natural organic turf management for school athletic field, produced by a group known as Grassroots Environmental Education. There are any number of flaws with this report. However, here are a few. A significant aspect of the cost assumptions in this report are based on irrigation. In the 2004 New York State Turf Industry Survey, 12.5% of school districts irrigate their sports fields. I did a simple spreadsheet of calculations and found that irrigation costs represent 30 to 40% of the total cost of each system in this report. Removing that from both systems leaves the natural organic system $2,700 more expensive than traditional for the 88% of the school districts in New York State that do not irrigate. Next, about soil biology. There are several published reports that refute the idea that fertilization and pesticide use alter soil biology. The study that investigated organic versus synthetic turf management over a 15-year period conducted at Ohio State University found that while organic, organic and fertilized turf does have high, so higher soil microbial biomass, free-living nematodes, a sign of soil health, is not substantially altered or reduced. Therefore, um, soil health is not significantly affected by fertilization. There are questions about the functional aspects of soil that is 5 to 7% organic matter relative to its ability to drain and allow for early spring and late fall use. It is unlikely these fields will allow for play following normal rainfall. Now, considering traditional lawn turf, this could be different if traffic's not involved. Finally, the New York State survey indicated that about 3% of all expenses by school districts are spent on pesticides and about 6% on fertilizers. Taken together, that would make about 10% of expenses. Just taking the high year from the report, year five, adding up all fertilizer and all pesticides for insects and weed control, the report consumes, uh, fertilizer and pesticides consume 17% of the budget, almost twice what the survey says they do. Furthermore, I must say I know a few, if any, school districts that apply two apps of herbicides annually, and most sports fields simply do not use pre-emergent products because it restricts overseeding, a major aspect of maintaining high-traffic sports turf. Thank you for joining me for the weekly installment of the Cornell Turfgrass Shortcut Podcast, your weekly connection to turfgrass information. I'm Frank Rossi, Associate Professor of Horticulture here at Cornell University, and I hope you have a great week. This has been a production of Cornell University. On the web 
at cornell.edu.